Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. If we haven't met before, my name's Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here, and I forgot that it's this time of the year where I need my preacher rag when I'm up here, so you'll have to excuse me if I'm a little frothy while I'm standing up here. I do want to make mention of this. Chris brought up that um, if even if you're not part of the band or the tech team and you want to join that cookout because you're interested in being on the band or on the tech team, I, w- I do want to say this because he said um, maybe you want to sing. Um, I've, I've been talking to TJ for years about singing on the band. You ain't never seen me up here, have you? Now, that could be because I couldn't carry a tune if you put it in a bucket for me. Like, that could be the reason why. Um, but maybe I'll go and maybe they'll let me sing for once. That's just a warning to you. If you can't carry a tune like I can't, set your expectations down with Joe where they are. Well, we're continuing our Bible study in the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Galatians chapter 4. That's where we'll be reading from today. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the words up on the screen. And if you want to follow along in an actual Bible, if you look underneath one of the seats around you, you might find a hardback black Bible. You can turn in that to page 974. That's where Galatians 4 will be. I'm going to read the passage, verses 21 through 31. We'll finish out the chapter today. And then after that, I want to say just a few things about it. So Galatians 4 Starting in verse 21, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in Galatia, says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Real quick recap, Paul's writing this letter to a group of Christians who came to a relationship with God through Jesus by their faith. That was their foundation. That was their understanding. That's what Paul taught them. You have a relationship with God through your faith. Over time, some teachers from the city of Jerusalem came to Galatia and began to tell them that, yeah, faith is great and that's how you get in, but in order to stay in a relationship with God, you have to follow all of the rules of the Old Testament law. And Paul's making this argument that that is garbage. The only thing that gives us a relationship with God is our faith in Jesus, not anything that we have done. And so Paul is continuing this argument. Remember, every section in this book is simply another component of that argument, that it is all in Jesus and not in our own works that we have a relationship with God. So he says, you who desire to be under the law, don't you listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. I'm going to tell you real quick here, it gets weird in this chapter. Um, so I'm going to say that up front, and we'll talk about that a little bit, the weirdness of it. But even Paul is going to tell us, like, before we go too far, I- I'm using an allegory here. <laughs> so in verse 23, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. So he's telling us, we're using an allegory to understand this. We're taking another story and we're turning that into an example 
of something that is real in order to understand the real thing better. Because the real thing is a little difficult to understand without some allegory to help us understand it. So he says, I'm using these things as an allegory. Verse 24, these two women are two covenants. We can forget all of the other stuff if we keep that in mind. Paul's talking about the old covenant, the old testament, the old way of relating to God by the the rules and regulations of the law, and the new testament, the way of relationship with God through Jesus alone by our faith. So what Paul is saying here is I'm using an allegory, but what I'm really talking about are the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, which is the mountain on which God gave the law to a man named Moses. This covenant, this woman, quote unquote, bears children for slavery. She is Hagar. That's the slave woman that Paul's talking about here. We'll talk a little bit about Hagar today, not to be confused with Sammy Hagar. (laughs) Some of you know, some of you are way too young, and it just went woo now. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. This is where it gets really weird. Like, there's a a Mount Sinai in Arabia, but that's basically Hagar. And Hagar is basically Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem on earth isn't the Jerusalem that we're from. We're from a heavenly Jerusalem. Weird stuff, right? The Bible's hard to understand. It says that here. It's an allegory. That's okay. Keep in mind, he's talking about the two covenants. The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. The significance of it being above is the fact that our relationship with God through Jesus, we have to remember, is not of any human effort. It's of God. It is a heavenly promise from him alone, which is why it comes through faith. Verse 27, for it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, Break forth, cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. He's quoting the Old Testament here. Verse 28, he says, Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now he says, if we have faith in Jesus, we, we are God's children because of the promise he made that if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, he brings you into his family. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, this is Abraham's other son, not Isaac, the son of the flesh, we'll talk about that, his name was Ishmael, he persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. What he's saying is this, that you began your relationship with God through faith, now other people are coming in and essentially persecuting you because they're telling you that if you don't do things our way, you really cannot have faith, have a relationship with God. And Paul is equating that to persecution. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. What is Paul saying here by using the verse? He's saying you got to keep in mind that to have the thought that a relationship with God is by anything we can do is garbage. And what do we do with garbage? We throw it away, cast it out. It's no good. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So this is why Paul says, if you desire to be under the law, don't you listen to the law. This this is not who you are. Because of your faith in Jesus, there's no human effort that you can do to have a relationship with God. Here's really what Paul is trying to say. There are two ways that we can live. We can live according to the flesh, which 
means according to our own human ways. Uh, and that looks, I think, now Paul is lumping people who, who say that you should obey the Old Testament law in order to be a Christian. He's lumping all of those people into that category. I think we can take everything outside of Jesus Christ and put it in that category according to the flesh. So whether it's I want to do um, as much as I can as a believer in Jesus to make Jesus happy with me because if I don't, he might not let me into heaven. That's according to the flesh because it relies on my own efforts. Or I don't need God at all because I can figure this out on my own. That's according to the flesh as well. There are two ways to live, according to the flesh or according to God's spirit, which is by faith given to us as a gift through nothing that we do other than believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is a, what I'm about to say is a little offensive of a statement, but the, what Paul is really getting to is here is that there is only one way to God. There's only one way to a relationship with God, and it's only through Jesus Christ. Now, those of us who are... Uh, Believers in Jesus might say, yes, absolutely. That's 100% true. If you, if you don't have a faith in Jesus, you cannot have a, a relationship with God. We would probably say that that's true as believers in Jesus. But sometimes those of us who believe in Jesus um, will say, I must, have a, I must have faith in Jesus to have a relationship with God, but I also must do as much as I can to keep God happy with me. That means that the way to God includes Joe Oval too, if I think that way. And I don't know if you know Joe Oval or not, but he's messed up. <laughs> and if it relies on Joe Oval in any way to have a relationship with God, it's impossible for that to happen. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus and it's through my faith in him, not through anything I do. This is Paul's entire message of the book of Galatians. Over and over again, it's the message of the New Testament. And there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. And it's not because God is stingy and has said, accept me or go to hell. It's not that he said it that way. Here's what it is. It's because there's no other way. There's just no other way because Jesus has taken the penalty of sin for us. When he hung on the cross for us, the, the, the disobedience that we have against God, the breaking of the law that existed, he took that, the punishment for that upon himself so that we don't have to endure the penalty of sin. But he's also set us free from the presence of sin through our faith in him. And what I mean by that is this, is that now through my faith in Jesus, he dwells in me so that I'm no longer defined in God's eyes by my sinful nature. I'm defined by him, as Paul says, as a child of God. When he looks at me, he sees Jesus because of my faith in him. This is why Jesus is the only way. It's not because God is stingy. Now, Paul uses the example of Isaac, Abraham's two sons, Isaac and Ishmael is the name of the other son, to teach us this principle that there are two ways to relate to God. Now, Isaac, and we brought him up a few weeks ago, and if you are just here for the first time and you haven't been able to catch up on the 
the underlying messages and, and all that we've talked about so far. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that major theme of faith alone in Jesus. I'm, I'm done with that at this point in the message. So I would encourage you to go back to the previous messages from this series to get more of that. But I want to focus a little bit on Isaac and Ishmael now because Isaac is the son of Abraham that one day as Abraham is already an old man, God promises him, you and your wife Sarah are going to have a son. They're childless at this point. And now they're old and God says, you're going to have a son, which is an impossibility for them to do. Years go by before Isaac is ever born. At some point in that period of time, as they're waiting for God to fulfill his promise, Sarah, Abraham's wife, turns to him and says, Abraham, God promised us years ago that you would have a son. I am too old to ever give him to you. But I have a maid named Hagar that I think you and her, you know, might be compatible. Um, I put your profiles in on Match.com, and I just want to say this as a quick aside. Guys, if you're, I'm a firm believer, you should always listen to your wife, okay? But if she ever comes to you with something like this, it's a trap. It's a trap. Hagar says, Abraham, you should go and have a baby with Hagar, because she's young. And Hagar's like, uh, I'm going to need you to say that again, right? Um, Abraham, Abraham says, I'm going to need you to say that again. And can you imagine poor Hagar? They're making decisions about her life without her being involved. Now, Abraham does it, which I think is dumb, right? Like he, he, they go and do the thing, and now they've got this baby, which is the son according to the flesh. God made them a promise. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Time goes by, and they never have that son. So they take matters into their own hands. This is the distinction here. When we take matters into our own hands, even with our salvation, it is wrong. It is only through Jesus. It is only through God's promise. Now, verse 29, he references this moment where Ishmael, who by the time Isaac is born is maybe a teenager. So, Isaac becomes a toddler, and there's a moment where Ishmael begins to taunt him. In Genesis chapter 21, um, he says, verses 8 through 9, the child grew and was weaned. This is Isaac. Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she'd born to Abraham, laughing. Basically, what's happening is Ishmael is teasing this little toddler, and Sarah ain't going to have none of it. So Mama Bear says, Abraham, kick this woman and her son out of our family. Now, here's what we need to remember. Um, in spite of the cruelty that seems to be in that message, let us not ever forget that that which comes from the flesh is always opposed to that which comes from the spirit. There's always a war going on between the two things, between that which comes from human effort and that which comes from God's promise. So what we see here is Paul making a point to bring that up. Like, remember how Isaac, the son of promise, was persecuted by Ishmael, the son of the flesh. 
The same thing is happening for you, Galatians, here today. And I want to take a few moments today to step outside of that message of it's by faith in Jesus Christ alone, although I've talked about it some today. Uh, The bulk of the message today, I want to focus on that word, persecution, and talk about that a little bit and um, share some thoughts I have about that. if time will allow. So the first thing I want to bring up is this, is that persecution is always present because flesh is always opposed to the spirit. Now, the word persecution itself that's translated persecution here literally means something like to chase after someone or something. It's often interpreted or translated as persecution in the New Testament. Sometimes it's translated as follow in a good way, like they followed Jesus to that place. It's the same word. That's used. Now, there seems to be this weird thing happening there. It doesn't mean that you're being attacked or doesn't mean that someone is following you. I think the two come together when you think of it this way, that the word means he came at me. <laughs> we might say it like that. He, he came at me. And Paul says, they're coming at you right now. And Ishmael was coming at Isaac. And so it's always present because flesh is always opposed to the spirit. But Jesus promised that his people would suffer. Paul, writing a letter to a friend of his named Timothy, said this in chapter 3, verse 12, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's inescapable for us if we follow Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to say about persecution is that we have to make this uh, distinction and that persecution is not just problems that we experience in life. Uh, we often think that uh, bad things that come our way, um, even from another person, if someone's talking bad about me behind my back, we might be quick to say that's persecution. It could also just be that I'm a jerk. That could be the reason why. But we, we have to be quick to make that distinction and know that just because, just because trials are coming my way, just because difficulties exist in my life, just because things might be a little hard, doesn't mean I'm being persecuted. What that means is that God's just given me an opportunity for my character to grow. If I am willing to find God in that opportunity, life is very hard for many people right now. That doesn't mean that persecution is happening. Persecution is also not just disagreements. Just because someone has a different opinion than me, doesn't mean they are persecuting me. This is really hard for us to accept right now. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted when I am contradicted. Just because someone has contradicted me and has a different opinion does not mean they're persecuting me. It's not just being offended either. Just because I have been offended by someone doesn't mean I am being persecuted by that person. Russell Moore says this, not everything that offends us should offend us, and not everything that offends us is persecution. Now, there's a lot of offense that exists in the world right now, and people are really upset when they're contradicted. Here's the thing, we should expect that outside of the church. Because people who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus do not have an eternal hope that we have. Like the song that we sang, take my joy, take my pain, give me 
Jesus, we, I think, sometimes in the church, prefer to behave more like the world when it comes to offense and contradiction than we do like Jesus, and we forget that we have this eternal hope, and we throw ourselves into the fray. We should not respond the same way because we're different. We are children of God's promise. We don't have to respond to offense and contradiction the same way that the world does. Number three, I want to say this, that persecution has a purpose. There's a purpose for it. And we don't consider this much because we want life to be easy, don't we? We love to be comfortable. I really like to be, com- I don't like to do hard things. It's why I look the way I look. Like, I don't like doing hard stuff. None of us do. And, and I think that uh, we're accustomed to that sort of comfortable lifestyle because we're privileged to live in the United States. We certainly in the church don't see persecution in the United States like people in other countries, some other countries do. Did you know that there are families in this church or people in this church who have family members that had to flee the country where they're from because of persecution? They had to leave it. They were being threatened with their livelihood, lost businesses, with their lives. They had to flee. We're gathered here today freely. No one forced you to come. Well, maybe maybe some of you, your wife forced you or your husband forced you or a friend forced you to come. But no one has compelled you to come in a way that your life has been threatened. We have freedom here that we sometimes don't appreciate. And because of that, because we love our comfort so much, because we want life to be so easy, what we really often try to do when persecution comes our way is to eliminate it. How can I make sure that they'll never treat me like that again? I think the reason we do this, maybe it's because we're human, but I think it's because we're American and ain't nobody gonna tell us what to do. Ain't nobody. Now, I'll say this. I love America very much. I came from a very patriotic family. My dad, my uncles, my grandparents, all veterans. In fact, we're so patriotic. My mom used to put the stripes to me till I saw stars. <laughs> very, very patriotic. I love America very much. I love the, the potential of America. I love the promise of America that, that they're is potential to do better here than maybe in other places. The people who who fled from their homelands came here and found better lives, but I'm not blind to the problems that exist in our country either. Here's what I think has happened for those of us who are American Christians. I believe that sometimes we've confused what it means to be a good American with what it means to be a biblical Christian. We think the two are the same thing. Very often, our values of being a good American and being a good Christian do not intersect. This is true for every nation and culture. To be a good Russian does not mean that you're a good Christian. To be a good Ukrainian does not mean you're a good Christian. To be a good Venezuelan does not mean you're a good Christian. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It has nothing to do with the political power in which you live exist. The two are not the same thing. So what does the Bible call us to do? Not to eliminate it, not to look for the easy way out. But unfortunately, I say, because I'm lazy, 
The Bible calls us to endure persecution. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he just got done talking about people all throughout the Old Testament who were highlighted because of their great faith in God. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus said to his disciples, as he's foretelling them that he's about to be arrested and that one day they might be arrested too, he says, if they did it to a green tree, what do you think they'll do to a dead tree? If they cut down a tree that was living and vibrant and threw it into the fire, what do you think they'll do to the trees that are dead and lifeless? He's saying this, if it happened to me, it will happen to you, and our job is not to eliminate it, it's to endure it. Now, every Sunday morning about 7.30, we have a quick little powwow with the staff, and usually whoever is speaking um, will share a little bit about their message, and I'm sharing some of these thoughts and about how we don't eliminate hard things, we don't eliminate persecution, we endure it when it comes, and someone said, this sermon is just for you, isn't it, Joe? And I said, yeah, they all, they all are. They all are. I am convicted and challenged by these things. Every time I get up there, that happens to me. My hope is that maybe you can kind of grab something off of this too. This is really just for my own discipleship and growth at the end of the day. But I'm challenged by this because I don't want to endure it. I don't want to follow the way of Jesus who, who said, if you follow me, it, it means you surrender yourself. And, and you follow me to sacrifice. And you put others before yourself. I don't want to do that. But we can. when We consider what Christ has done. And he gives us the power to when he, because he lives inside us. Billy Graham said this, we can take persecution because we know the purpose behind it. What is the purpose behind it? Billy Graham said the purpose is to glorify God. And that makes me ask this question, how does that glorify God for his people to be attacked by someone because of what they believe, for his people to be chased out of their nation because of what they believe, for his people to be killed sometimes because they are his people? How does that glorify God? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how it glorifies God, and I suspect that it's different for every person who faces persecution. But I do know this, whether I'm persecuted or not, God still has glory. Whether I endure persecution or not, God still has glory. I don't add or take away from his glory just because I've done it right. He still has glory no matter what. But here's what we do know is that God's will is for all people to come to know the truth, whether they're his enemies or not, which brings me to my final point, that people are not the enemy. People are the instrument of persecution, but they're not the enemy of God's people. Now, our world is so divided right now, and everyone is so opinionated, and I, 
I'm about to share with you my opinion. So take it for, for what you want. But I think it's because social media has allowed every one of us to become an expert on things, and we suddenly have a platform where people will listen to us where they never would have before. So now that they can, they also can disagree with us. And we're all so divided over these things. By the way, I'm talking about me and you. <laughs> and you. I'm talking about us in that. And we see those who are different from us and opposed to us, and, and we think that they are our enemy, but we have to remember that that God said this would happen to us, that there would be opposition because of what we believe about who Jesus is, that, that people would be opposed to us because he, we believe that he's the only way to God. God said that this would happen to us, so the people who oppose us are simply doing what they're supposed to do. They don't have God's spirit within them. They don't know to think like he does. And we expect people who don't have God's spirit to think the way God does when we very often do not respond to them like we have God's spirit. When they treat us the way that they do. People aren't the enemy. Ideology might be the enemy. The devil is certainly an enemy, but our struggle is not against people that Jesus loves and that he died for. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on, and we dehumanize people, and we give them cute nicknames, like just a bunch of liberals, or just a bunch of Trumpers. And we say things like that, and they're no longer people. They're just labels now, and it's easy to turn a label into an enemy. Now, in Genesis 16, I want to quickly read this story of Ishmael um, when he was born. 16, verse 1, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, so she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Sammy Hagar, and Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham, dummy, listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her servant, and gave her to Abraham as his husband, as, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. When she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Hagar now looks at Sarah like, I got a kid, and you don't. Sarah says to Abraham, may the wrong be done to me, be on you. Now she's blaming Abraham. Guys, remember what I told you. It's a trap. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, listen, she's in your power. Do, do whatever you want. I ain't touching this thing no more. Do whatever you want, Sarah. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her. She fled from her, and she flees to the wilderness. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And he said to her, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from Sarah. So the angel says, return to her because I'll multiply your offspring so they can't be numbered for multitude. This was the promise God gave to Abraham regarding Isaac as well. So now he's making this promise to Ishmael. You're also a son of Abraham. You're going to have many children. Verse 13, she says, you are a God of seeing for you truly have seen me. 
here. I, I, I read that story to make this point that even the enemy of God, the one who eventually came to persecute the child of God's promise, the enemy of God's promise, the enemies of the gospel also have a purpose too. Ishmael also had a purpose too. But when we forget that about people, we make them the enemy. God loves the enemies of the gospel as much as he loves his children. In Genesis 21, after, this is years later, after Ishmael had persecuted Isaac and Abraham's like, sorry, you guys got to go. He sends them into the desert with a canteen as though that's going to help them for very long in the desert. And it doesn't. It runs out. And after it's run out, Hagar realizes that they're both going to die soon. And so she places Ishmael under a bush and she runs away because she can't bear to watch him die. And verse 17 of Genesis 21 says, God heard the voice of the boy Ishmael. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Get up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I'll make him into a great nation. Don't forget what I promised you years ago. Then God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. What a great picture of how God loves even the enemies of his promise. How do I know that's true? How do I know that the Bible's true when it says that? Because I'm here right now talking about how much God loves me. The Bible says we were all once the enemies of God. And while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Before we ever believed in him, he loved us. Before we we ever loved him, he loved us. Now, I can't help but read verse 19, that she opens up her eyes, and now there's suddenly this well of water in the middle of the desert. As I read that, I'm reminded of this moment that Jesus said to some of his followers, if you believe in me, I'll give you my spirit, and my spirit will be in you like a well of water that overflows and gives life to people. What if, and this is the part that really challenges me, what if, what if I'm supposed to be that well of water in the wilderness to the enemy of the gospel, to the enemy of God's promise? What if God has allowed me to be in that situation so that I can bring his truth and reveal Jesus to that person in the midst of that? They will never live if they don't get a drink. And I've got the water. We'd much rather hoard our water and run away. I can't give it to anybody else because what if I don't have enough? They'll never find life if we persist in treating them as though they are our enemies. And I'll say this one last thing and then I'm finished is that people who are in need need a drink of God's living water. That's what they need. They need a drink of God's living water. They don't need to be drowned by it. They don't need us to flood them with it. So we need to listen to God. And when he gives us an opportunity, say to them what he says to us in that moment. Give them a drink, not a flood. It's really what we're doing when we flood them with the truth 
is hoping that they'll drown and not that they'll live. What if God has placed us in those places to be that well of water to people? It can be hard. It can be difficult. Uh, I, I pray that in the United States that I never see it in my lifetime. My daughter doesn't. I, I pray that it, it never happens. But what if it did happen in that way? Uh, uh, let's just take a step back outside of persecution for a moment. What about that person I can't stand at work? What if I'm to be their drink of water? What about that person in my family that we haven't spoken to in years and they're the one who doesn't know Jesus? What if I'm the drink of water? that they need? What if God has given me the opportunity to reveal his spirit and promise to them and I'm refusing? This is what has challenged me in, in studying this week and I pray that it would challenge all of us. So Lord, I'm so thankful that you have given us the Bible as a means to reveal to us who you are, reveal to us what your truth is, to correct us, to guide us, ultimately to point us to your son, Jesus. And every time you reveal to us who he is, Lord, we see how we are nothing like him. He's so much better. He's so much more merciful than we are. He's so much more just than we are. So Lord, what we're asking for is just the strength from your spirit to do what Jesus would do. We don't want to rely on our own efforts to do the right thing, but to allow your spirit, your living water in us to give life to other people. We thank you, Lord, that, that we don't have to uh, be defined by opposition or persecution or difficulties or trials that come our way. We don't have to be defined by that because you call us your children. You've adopted us into your family. You have chosen us we're yours and we're defined by that so Lord I thank you that that no matter what we are yours and so we we hang our hat we hang our hopes on that Lord we look to you and we praise you for it in Jesus name thanks for joining with us today we would love to pray for you and make a connection with you so please check out the church at home page at rendicator.org here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.